hey, uh, just to make you angry, we did find something fun on the internets. Oh, no. Oh, related no. to the Xfinity series. 2023 Xfinity standings with the F1 point system. <laughs> um, after Kansas. I just stop. Just stop. <laughs> I don't care. Hello, welcome to the Money Lab Podcast. I'm Parker Klugman, joined as always by Landon Castle. This was a way better intro than most times. Um, check out themoneylap.com for the Money Lab newsletter, which comes to your inbox three times a week for all things motorsports. And Landon, we start this week, our 21st episode, with the PR Lab and some interesting reviews out there. Both five stars. One, I believe could potentially be uh, in the wrong spot for this person. So they said on Apple Podcast Reviews, uh, delicious, five stars from Jay True. The wife and I stopped by for brunch. I had the best quish. I had quish? Quish? Are you serious? Quish? Quish? quish that's quish. what I I have ever had. And my wife had a tasty bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios. We will definitely try this again. Um... <laughs> So Parker Our does not know Parker does not know how to even read the name off of our signature <laughs> menu item at the Money Lab on Sunday <laughs> Sunday brunches because he- Jay True loved the quiche. Um, and yes, we do have Honey Nut Cheerios at the Money Lab restaurant as well. So is it? Are we like a review, Jay True? Are we fine dining or like a? Um, like a diner, like a 24 it's hour. It's more diner. of a, no, it's more of like a millennial style, um, mm. you know, brunch type place, mimosas, mimosas Got and Cheerios. It. Ooh, that sounds kind of fun. Spiked coolers yep. there, of course. Um, Yo, yeah, it's probably like <laughs> 75 bucks a person. We have mushroom coffee, right? We'll get into <laughs> yeah, that later. Why? We have mushroom coffee and you can put spoiler <laughs> die cast on your sandwich and avocado toast and it can be gluten free. The second, there you go. Re- the second review out there. Uh, was a little bit more on topic from Wombo Rocks. He said, But this great is a good po- one. Yeah, this is a great one. So he said, Great podcast on the road. I play this podcast on the road with my bandmates and have got them into racing thanks to the show. Wombo is a fan. My man. We're back right. in the music world. Who knew? Yeah, we need Love to check that. out um, the Wombo band. I'm assuming it must be called. The band must be called Wombo, so let's check them out. Or Wombo Rocks. Yeah, we got a Wombo Wait, Rocks. Let's we'll see who they are. I don't know if they're like a cover band or they make original music or play in Nashville. I don't know. Who? who, who, who I don't know. Yeah, find out. out. We, intro music. You could always switch up our intro music. You never know. On Spotify, um, Potatoes said, 20 episodes. I can't wait for more to come. Amazing topics, insight, and occasionally a guest too. Flows well on the week. The amazing ad reads and segues. Keep up the amazing industry standard work. Ooh, thank you. Test Talk, for those who enjoy a more cerebral sports podcast. Ooh, we've been called cerebral. With a fair amount of goofiness, although we can't say quiche. This is the perfect mix of infotainment. Oh, I like that one. Um, and on YouTube, Matt Sikora, great podcast, fellas. Big Parker fan. I really enjoy hearing Landon's takes on things. You two together have something great together. Love to tune in. That is very nice for everyone. Also, I did join Cameo as uh, I promised I would at 100 Apple reviews, so we're there. We have to come up with something for you to do at 200. Um, and before we jump into the rest of the episode, I just have to say we have gone to the 
we the the whole you know the joke about podcasts where it's like everyone has a podcast and you can be a guest on my podcast and I'll go on your podcast. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like the Spider Man meme. So yeah. uh, everyone in NASCAR has a podcast, but we've made it to one of the biggest. Danny Hamlin this week on his Actions Detrimental podcast shouted out the Money Lab, said he's a listener. So I just had to put it out there. We're willing to be That's we're willing awesome. to be guests on your podcast, Danny. <laughs> If you come on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, let's promote each other's <laughs> podcast. Thank you, uh, Danny Hamlin, for the shout-out. I hope that he's a listener. It sounds like he is. Um, that also made me wonder, have I said anything super critical of Denny lately? Or did he shout us out because we both picked him uh, to be the Cup Series champion this year? I don't mm. know. I don't know. Well, here's um, the thing about that. I've made it very clear, and I looked at a... T- a text I had to him back in February this year on my way to Daytona. And I said, Denny, it's your year. It's always your year because that's my thing. It's always your, his year until it isn't. And so he's, he can do it. He can do it. Uh, Before we jump out of the PR lap, our favorite friend, David Taylor made me do a cameo to you. You can check it out uh, on Twitter. And I just want to give a quick run through what you expect on this episode. We're going to talk all things NASCAR, of course, truck series, the Xfinity Series and my uh, make it into the playoffs just came from uh, Xfinity Series playoff media day today. Uh, we're going to talk the Cup Series. We're going to jump into the craziness of the IndyCar race at Laguna Seca. And, of course, in F1, they are talking about the Concord Agreement. And, no, I'm not talking about the plane. This is the agreement that will decide how much the sport gives the teams. And the discussions wow. are starting. So we'll get into that a little bit as well. That is – that is uh... That's going to be a big one. You know, speaking of IndyCar and F1, this this, yes. this one gets me excited. Look no further than SpoilerDieCast.com with one of the largest inventories in stock products in the industry. Make, you are sure to find what you're looking for. We're talking about diecast, Parker. IndyCar and F1 diecast. And if you spend $20 or more, you'll get free shipping. But that's not all because new this week on the Money Lap, if you spend $50 or more, you'll receive a free signed Landon Castle Voyager 164 scale diecast. That's the little guys, like the Hot Wheel size. It's the perfect addition to any racing fan's collection. And don't forget, spoilerdiecast.com also has a pre order system in place for diecast with $0 down option. So why wait? Visit spoilerdiecast.com today and use promo, promo code MONEYLAP for free shipping and 5% off all orders. Don't forget to spend more than $50 so you can get that. LC Voyager diecast car. The little guys. It's the most aggressive offer in the space. Combined with discount, I think it's going to move the needle here. I think, we, uh, I think we're going to get some action. I think that's awesome. We, we did promise that we had something cool happening with them, so now people know they can get one of those signed diecasts. There's a limited quantity, as they know. There will be no more Voyager cars made no in the part- future. There's an unlimited quantity. I signed <laughs> a, mil- a gazillion of them. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, really. I think I signed. <laughs> I think I signed. Um, gosh, twenty-four, twelve. I don't know. Maybe a dozen of them. I'm not sure. So yeah, there is a limited quantity. Um, spend fifty bucks or more, you're gonna get one of the little ones there. We get a bunch of them around my house. So <laughs> cool. It's good stuff. Well, those would be fun to see, and uh, I won't steal any of them from anyone. So go order. Spend fifty dollars or more at spoilerdiecast.com and. Beat me to it so I don't get one of those. Uh, let's start with NASCAR in the truck series as we jump into all the motorsport topics around the world. Incredible finish this past weekend. Late race pass by Christian Eckes. is one of the coolest finishes, three wide, that sort of thing I've seen in trucks in a while. But 
Uh, Christian Eckes put it on him late there on the high side in the three and four, made an awesome pass. And I didn't, you know, in trucks, it's so f- interesting watching trucks at mile and a half because they're the they're this mix of high downforce, yet the drag is so high they can create huge drafting effects in the right scenarios. But the tires wear mm-hmm. like a stock car, so. It, it's always this weird mix, but occasionally it can create a huge run for a truck behind two other trucks. That's what Christian used to his advantage. Yeah, I mean, it's even even at a place like Darlington where the tire falloff is tremendous, you see a lot of that drafting um, and side drafting. And I think that this is where, you know, brings back a conversation we had a couple weeks ago and where Denny had made a comment about the truck series being a good place to find future cup talent. Um, and I think that Denny was looking, if I remember right, Denny was kind of talking about two different things. I think he was, you know, touting the talent that's in the truck series, which Parker and I, you kind of, you and I kind of disagreed with a little bit. Not that those drivers aren't talented, but like, you know, definitely didn't want to overlook the talent that's in the Xfinity series. But the second reason, um, I think Denny was saying you could look at the truck series as a, as a path to cup is for what you saw at Kansas, which is the way that those things race, the way they can mm-hmm. race side by side. They kind of have this seesaw effect. Um, you do lose downforce and have like loose underneath cars like a traditional stock car in an intermediate track, but with the trucks, it's a lot like a cup car where they can run flat out sort of side by side with each other and you need to get a draft from behind to, to clear someone even on an intermediate track. That finish to that truck race looked more similar to a cup race finish than any Xfinity race looks to a cup race um, at an intermediate track. So that was kind of, you know, I thought a really good example of something we had talked about a couple weeks ago. And actually, you bring up a great point because I was having this very same discussion with Sheldon Creed, who made his Cup Series debut this past weekend in the current, you know, next-gen car. And asked him, you know, how hard it was and all those things. And then we somehow got to the topic of like Carson Hosevar, who's done a great job in some of his limited cup starts this year. And I was like, I said this to Sheldon, and then he he definitely agreed with me, which was I was like, truth or like from my position and my understanding of all these vehicles, I think it is a way easier transition right now to go from a truck to a cup car than from an Xfinity car to a cup car. And because it's so vastly different, and I, I, one of my, reason, my things to point out, my examples, was Josh Berry, you know, jumping that 42 at Michigan and, you know, not quite having the speed right off the bat. But you look at that, and everything he does in the Xfinity car is absolutely wrong for that car. And yeah. the feel and the, the mentality of how you drive it, all those things is wrong. And so I felt like he had a harder task. And Carson Hosomar, although the talent level, obviously, of the Cup Series and the level of the, the teams and that sort of thing is an, an enormous jump from trucks. I think purely in the driving sense, you have a far easier transition from a truck to a Cup car than you do an Xfinity right. car right now. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, I did this last year, and I'm so glad that I ran those Cup races last year. I wouldn't trade it for the world. But I didn't get that gain, that, that complementary gain from cup to Xfinity that I had in the past when I had run both. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times last year where I was maybe a little frustrated on the cup side, just thinking, gosh, I just wish I, you know, I, I need to focus on this Xfinity car right now. Um, and, and, but it, it, I'm, I'm glad I ran those cup races, but I did notice a big difference there. The only thing is like, I don't want to overplay the similarity between the trucks and the cup cars because 
to me, the trucks still have that traditional NASCAR Goodyear tire, big sidewall. There's a lot of those, those things can handle a lot of yaw. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, so they're really forgiving. Um, you don't drive a truck too sideways, mainly because of aero, not because of tire yeah. or grip, but because you don't, you know, you don't drive it sideways because it, it'll be too draggy. You know, those things have to be kind of straight. Um, but you can really lean into those things. You you race a truck against the air um, and using the side force where a cup car you don't, you know, you're just on the tire. So that's a, still a very huge difference between a cup car and a truck, but I do think the similarity is that both of them are just very stuck. And so the tactical racing, the drafting against your opponents in traffic and green-white checkers and in, intermediate-style racing is very similar. Yep. Well said. Uh, Ryan Vargas, good kid in the Xfinity Series and Truck Series, uh, announced that he's going to be racing in Germany in the NASCAR Euro Series to have a start over there before running the Truck Series race at Talladega uh, in October. Kind of interesting mix to see drivers go over there and do that. I think this is something, the reason I thought this was interesting to have on here is I truly believe as NASCAR uh, looks to make an international push, we are going to see a lot more of this and a lot of high-profile drivers go to Germany for the Euro Series, go to the South South America for those series. Um, this is going to start happening. So pay attention to this. If you want to, you know, some of the biggest names in the sport, I truly believe will be spending certain weeks abroad when they can, uh, yeah. you know, spreading NASCAR internationally. It's interesting. Yeah, and it's, it's happened before. I mean, obviously, Maya Snyder... Um, I think did he run an entire season? I think he, yeah, he ran a full season over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he ran a lot, and, and obviously he had a lot of success. He's a he's a top three caliber driver, you know, top three series caliber driver, or at least a truck and Xfinity caliber driver. Um, you know, and saw some success in the the Euro series, and um, I think that was really good for him. And I've always kept my my personally, I've been always been open minded to it. Um, in fact. In 2010, I want to say, um, I had an opportunity to race uh, in a NASCAR Mexico race, um, and I was going to do it. But at the same time, I had an opportunity to drive a cup car, and um, and it was just a start and park deal. But they were, fell on this either they fell on the same weekend, or it was the timing would have worked where I couldn't have done both, and I had to choose between the NASCAR Mexico race and the cup race. Um, and it actually wasn't an easy choice for me because the equipment that I was going to drive in the NASCAR Mexico series was good enough equipment that I could have competed for a win. Um, but then on the cup side, I was, you know, really trying to set, you know, uh, establish some roots in the cup garage and I was starting parking every week and I was having some success with it and in generating a lot of interest from team owners. So I chose to do the cup race instead of the NASCAR Mexico race. Um, I qualified for the race that weekend. And obviously, that actually was what helped me um, get some of my further cup opportunities. So I was glad that I, ultimately glad that I did that. Yeah, I think you made the right choice. So the cup series is the cup series is the top. Sometimes you just got to do it, you know, take those ones when they come. They're not always there. Uh, That's right. And the other series in NASCAR is the Xfinity series. This past weekend, we had our regular season finale. Um, a bit of a, an interesting event for myself and my race team at Big Machine Racing because we came in there one point below the cut line. 
there was the talk all week of if we could pull it off and go beat the 98 and hold off maybe a challenge from the nine of Brendan Jones to go win. Um, I felt confident the whole week we could if we just did what we've been doing the last 12 weeks or so. We showed up and had good speed, um, got in the race, made some good restarts, got ahead of the 98, never looked back. We uh, we end up scoring stage points at both stages. And then there was late in the race where I was running fourth or fifth, and I, I part part of this what was interesting about this weekend. I'm gonna do I'm gonna go down two paths, and then I want your opinion on these because I think you'll have great uh, comments. So first and foremost, this was definitely the most nerve wracking race of my life, but also <laughs> in a lot of ways gave me such an appreciation for covering the Cup Series playoffs over the last few years, right? And the yeah. idea that like you go into a race, most of your time in life is drive as fast as you can, get to the front, try win the race. This one, there's you're doing all that, and you're trying to force yourself to do that. But you also, no matter what you do, there's this this little bit in the back of your mind when you see the 98 in your mirror, you see him ahead of you, or whatever, and you're like, you kind of pay attention to what he's doing. You don't want to, you don't really care, but you do care, and it's such <laughs> a weird way to race. And but you have to put that aside, and you have to focus on what you're doing, right? Because that's the only way you can get the performance you need. And then the other side of it was, uh, we get late in the race there, and the nine gets to second, and suddenly. I've gone from, you know, being allowed to be at 99% to being like, I got to go shit. And just, I got to go. Right. Like it's just, there's no, there's no other answer. And they're all like, you're good. You're good. You're good. And I'm like, no, like I I don't believe we're good because the nine is sitting there in second. So if we get a restart, which I didn't know he didn't have another set of tires, but I was like, if the 20 blows a tire, we stay green. That guy's going to win this race. Yeah. So I felt I had a car that could compete with him. The only thing I couldn't do through the day was be as aggressive on the wall as I want to be. I went the 99.9% aggression level of the wall that I thought I could use, but there was that little bit, like the two was able to use that I wanted to, that I think would have got us to be in a second place car, but I just couldn't do it. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. in the end, we were successful. We, we we transferred. That was a cool moment for our race team, but man, I, uh, I know you, you've been in this position. Like that is a crazy way to race. Um, yeah. Well, I want to make level. I, I want to go into that for just a second here because it, and two things. First of all, I think you know now that we can look back on it, one thing that's really should give you some confidence going into the playoffs is that you know I know the '98 had their problems, but you obviously ran well enough that I think that you earned it. You would have earned it anyways. Um, yeah. And you were out running. You were gonna outrun the '98 um, even before his problems. So it's kind of cool for you to not just you know get through and '98 had his issues, whatever. Uh, but to run the way you did, it's like I think you would have made it anyways. The best he was going to finish is seventh or eighth. Yeah. Um, but one thing to kind of talk about how you're like nervous for this race and you know the race sort of coming down to a moment, um, and that being a new experience for you or a relatively new experience for you, and I I can relate to that in a sense that um, drivers like us, you and me, who have kind of had to we've spent the majority of our career in these grinding out. I hate, I'm trying not to use the word journeyman, but it's like these journeyman <laughs> that were so weird. <laughs> Whereas like we're grinding it out or, you know, you're always, you're, you're, you're our, our focus in our season in our races are much more cumulative than yep. they are zero sum because racing is not a zero sum sport if there isn't a winner and a loser in every race right 
especially if you're driving. I know that sounds silly because there well, was that a was a little everybody. silly because yeah, there's one winner and everyone else loses. There's one winner and everybody else is a loser. <laughs> but that, but but everybody has different ways that their the outcome of their race contributes to their season, right? Yeah. So especially if you're a driver like myself or yourself through our majority of our careers driving careers driving for some of these small teams or or challenger teams that are trying to work their way up winning is just not on our radar it's it's that's that's might be really far out like it our radar is saying hey you know how do we get this team into the top 25 and then the top 20 and the top 15 and you know consistency or keeping the car in one piece um so it's not too often you get in a situation where it is literally a zero-sum race. I either win by winning the race or making the playoffs, like finishing in a certain position, or if I don't, that's it. It's yep. done, right? <laughs> I, the situations I've been in in that in my career are are like when I had to race my way into Daytona, which you've been in that position. That is a zero-sum race for me, right? When I was <laughs> doing it for Hillman, it's like you're either in or you're not in, and that's that's the real... Um, you want to talk about you know bringing out some emotion, um, and I can ima- imagine the emotions you went through this weekend. Of be- you, you talk about it being the most nerve wracking race of your career. Those were the most most nerve wracking races in my career because it was it was binary if the day was good or bad, yep. right? Uh, where every other race of the season is not so binary. It's like, eh, we could have a good day if we finish here. It really depends on where the other guys finish or. You know, it depends on how many points we score against our other people. But shoot, when you got to race your way into Daytona, it's it's you either made it or you yeah. didn't, right? Financially, it matters a ton, or it matters right. a lot if you didn't. And, <laughs> and that's what you went through this weekend with the playoffs. It's just like it was binary. Yeah. You know, I mean, I dealt with it last year in my playoff cutoff race, where it was just like at the at, at the end of the day, it didn't even matter where you finished. There was a binary objective. I either made it or I didn't. You could have finished yep. 29th on Saturday. And, and, and as, and long as, the, <laughs> as long as the 98 car finished 33rd or whatever, you would have been you would have been thrilled, right? <laughs> so it's just funny how we don't we don't have that a lot, you know, in our sport. We'd go through the majority of our season with this just continuous um what did I say earlier? Cumulative view of hey, what's a good day? What's a bad day? And everything's kind of in between, where it all you know it comes down to like, all right, we got it. Today's the day. It's Kansas. It's cutoff race. We either made the playoffs or we don't. The good news for you is you got a couple weeks of cumulative, but you're going to be right back <laughs> into that boat again. Where well, it's like, I, well, I don't think of it. You know, here's the crazy part. So I'll unpack a couple things that I think you will respect. Yeah, but for my race team, first and foremost, that was the best executed race we've had all season. Which was a really cool thing for me to see. And I mean that from the preparation of the race car to how we showed up on the weekend to, you know, decisions in the race to our pit crew. Those were the best pit stops of our entire season, cumulatively. That was the best we have ranked on pit road all season. So, like, everyone brought their A game. And it's cool to see that and say, okay, if we do that, we are a top five competitive race car, right? Race team. So, the thing with that, though, is that. I said this before the race in an interview, and I was like, this is, I can't think of a better lesson or preparation or experience for the championship four than this moment we're in right now. Because to your point, it is a binary thing. Like the championship four, those four teams enter there knowing they have to do everything the best they possibly can to possibly win a championship or lose a championship, right? Mm-hmm. 
you, you have two results in that. You either win it or you don't. Yeah. The, on that single day, you've got to be perfect. And this day we were. So I was like, what an amazing moment for our race team in that sense. And for me, like the way I felt about our team preparing for this race and everything was we've been in this mode for four weeks, five weeks where every race, you know, Daytona yeah. was a race I talked about preparing for by just saying like, this is a cutoff. You got to win it, dude. Like make it right. happen. You know, and like that's the level of intensity you have to bring. And it's cool to see it be successful and, and work. I think the, um, where was I going with this? Hold on. I had a whole point to make off of this. <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess where I was heading with it was, you know, that sort of like shows us the level of now entering the playoffs for three races. You say cumulative, but to me, it's like, just take the same intensity we've had for the last four and a half weeks. It doesn't change. Just keep do what we're doing and keep it rolling. And if you do that and you have the same results, I think I saw a fan. I, ha- I don't have the numbers yet. I have some people at uh, Racing Insights, my buddies there, working on some numbers to tell us like where we've been in the last eight to 10 weeks, but I'm pretty sure we're in the top three of teams in terms of results, points scored, all that stuff. And so I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Let's do that in the next three races and we're going to be well, funny. So Yeah, I mean, you yeah. have to you have to because the, the amount of points that it took for you to dig out of the hole that you were in 10 weeks ago is yeah. actually the amount of ta- points that it's going to take for you to advance to the next round. So you have to continue doing what you've been doing up just from a exactly. results side of things. Um, did Patrick tell you that I texted him during the race? Yeah, he didn't tell me what you said, though. What'd oh, you yeah. he just no. said I texted you? Yeah. What did he say? Or did, did you say you in our sim? No, in our sim session on Monday, he was like, yeah, Landon texted me. Oh, Patrick Donnie, my crew chief, by the way, for those who don't know. You guys, are doing, you guys are doing so good. I didn't even, I didn't have any advice or anything. I just texted him and said, looks like you nailed the balance. Oh, that's right. He said that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. No, I forgot. I figured I he would make sure to let you know that I complimented his work. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Like any cr- drivers and crew chiefs are very similar. We like to be. Yeah, we like, like to know I, I, I figured that'd be like uh, written on the big shop whiteboard or something that Landon <laughs> said that Patrick nailed the balance. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah, he got it. He got it. That was cool. But yeah, the whole team, dude. It was. It was really cool. I think that the the for me the coolest thing to take from that was that we everyone entered that race knowing what was at stake and just rose up and nailed it and so i'm yeah. like all right we've all had that capability we've seen it let's bring that in the next seven weeks and see what happens so yep. the next day i had to do um pit reporting at kansas and i will say it was pretty funny because it felt like winning a race in terms of the amount of texts i got and then also like all the people in the cup garage were like hey man good job all this stuff and i was that's like, cool wow, I, did, I did i did not know it was such a big deal so i appreciate it but yeah one thing that did help me uh, on this Kansas, on this regular season cutoff to make the playoffs was it was a packed weekend, a packed week. It was a tough, intense day. But before the race, I made sure to have four Sigmatic Think Coffee, of course. <laughs> <laughs> because first, you get, this is a true story. Made sure within about two hours before the race, I said, you know what? I need something to get me locked in. I need to be able to uh, focus on this and bring my best ability possible. And therefore, I took one of my Four Sigmatic uh, Think Coffee travel packages I have and instant coffees, poured it in a cup, got some water, put it in there, and drank that beforehand because I truly believe it was what I needed to power me to the playoffs. And sure enough, it was one of our best races of the season. I locked in, was able to perform at a high level, for the whole race and drive us into the playoffs. If you want to try the coffee that powered myself into the playoffs, head to forsigmatic.com. That's 
F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com for the Think Coffee. Go get that and use the code MONEYLAP for 15% off to try the very coffee that powered me in the playoffs. So, or check the link in the description. We also have something really cool happening with Four Sigmatic where we're going to be giving away uh, some pretty cool prizes that are worth a lot. So stay tuned for that. Go sign up for our newsletter if you haven't. That's the moneylap.com. The sign up for our newsletter is probably going to incorporate the podcast and the newsletter to get this giveaway. Um, but check Thanks. it out, com. I got one of those. Um, uh, now I can't even tell you the brand name. I think it's called Chemex. I got one of those like yeah. fancy pour-over automatic coffee makers. I know that sounds oh. like a, uh, um oxymoron. It's an it's a it's a it's a automatic coffee maker, but it is a pour over style. So like the way that it drips the coffee into the you know the fancy glass shaped thing, it does it in the pour over style. And I've been um, um, making my think coffee with that. It's been delicious. <laughs> been I love it, and I love that. That's awesome. Hey, uh, just to make you angry, we did find something fun on the internets. Oh no, oh, related no. to the Xfinity series. So NASCAR with F1 Point Central is the head is the is the Twitter name it said the 2023 Xfinity standings with the F1 Point system. Um, after can I just stop? Just stop! I don't care. I don't care. If you want to find it, go check it out there. All you have to know is John Hunter Nemechek would be the lead right now by 36 points over Austin Hill. I would be seventh, but. <laughs> as of this last week, was mathematically eliminated from title contention, unlike with the playoff oh, no. format. I'm Good in. news, bad news, right? <laughs> okay, well, hopefully next week somebody can present to us the point standings as if it was a Tour de France score, <laughs> where, <laughs> where they reset the... Um, I think somebody's done that before, actually. The Tour, Tour de France-style France. standings. Yeah. <laughs> Who wants to be the Peloton? I don't know. <laughs> we got to move on. Don't ever that. don't ever bring that garbage onto the podcast again. I do find it hilarious because to your you did say it best. It's like, but that's not the point system. So nobody's <laughs> racing to that point system. So who the who cares? It's not how it works. Anyway, it's frustrating. Um the other series racing at Kansas this weekend is the NASCAR <laughs> Cup Series, by the way. If you heard of it, the you know the Cup race was pretty good, although you know they had tire issues, which I don't know. Let's not. We shouldn't say tire issues. The crew chiefs had issues with the tires. The tires were fine. Well, that's that is a debate. <laughs> there was a bit of debate about that. It was a contentious topic as of the morning of the race. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of things happened actually that in the morning that were unique. One, the twenty four had an issue post practice qualifying with the mm-hmm. monoball in their suspension. NASCAR <laughs> deemed this to be a part that they potentially felt like was a supplier issue. Which mm-hmm. the you know this is the the new thing in the next gen era as we talked about is the teams aren't building these parts; they're buying them from suppliers that NASCAR picks. Well, they they deemed that. The part potentially could have been an issue from the supplier. So they allowed all the teams to come in an hour early to the garage on Sunday and assess that area of the race car and decide if they want to change it without having to be sent to the back. So that was something new. Um, at the same time, the 43 team of Eric Jones had a leak in their transaxle, which transaxle is essentially the gearbox in these mm-hmm. cars. Well, I watched this sort of in real time where the 
the team was there, the NASCAR officials are there, and they were going back and forth, back and forth, and the extract people showed up. And I assumed they were just going to change the transaxle start at the back. Well, once again, it seemed like NASCAR deemed it to be a part issue really? and not a, you know, inflicted issue for every reason by the team. Therefore, they were able to change it and not start the back, but they got it done very close to the time of the grid. Like, they weren't on the grid till the cars rolled, basically. It was incredible. Wow. Dave Allen was super involved. I talked about on the broadcast. And then they went out there and had, like, a top-five car, which was incredible. I don't know how they did that. So that was pretty amazing by them. Um, so, yeah, those were kind of unprecedented things. And then the tire issue was really – it wasn't isolated one manufacturer uh, because we had a Chevy of the, of the Kyle Busch have an issue in practice, the 54 of – uh, Ty Gibbs had an issue in practice. Then we get into the race. Martin Truex has a tire fail, but his tire, according to Goodyear, was from running over something. And then late in the race, we had Chris Busher and a Ford. Thank you, Goodyear, for tire. clarifying that. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. They will always had, clarify that. <laughs> we had Chris Busher fail a tire in a Ford, and he was quite livid about it because if you look at that run, that was the longest run of the day, essentially. And, you know, his comment to me was that, you know, no... You know, basically, they were the casualty of that long run. Hmm. So, with that, we saw Martin Truex get knocked out. They, they've they had a weird start to the playoffs at Darlington. So, this is kind of interesting. Uh, not to just talk here, but I'm going to go through all these interesting go things. Go ahead. Yeah, have at it. It's fine. So, the... put your name first on the podcast anyways. Wow, geez. <laughs> Did you feel... Have you, have you been harboring this frustration okay. with that I'm this gonna, whole time? I'm going to go sit down and take a nap while you're talking. <laughs> Have you been hard? Has this been a deep, steep, like, seated frustration no. this whole time? No, 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 no. Okay, so Mark <laughs> Trex Jr., the 19 team, they go to Darlington, a place that they were super fast in the spring. You expect them to do the same thing. They struggled in qualifying and struggled the race right around 19th or 20th. Well, it turns out what they discovered was their car was damaged, and when it got damaged, it was most likely in practice where Martin hit the wall but didn't feel like it was anything significant to even say, like, hey, there's a problem or whatever. It turns out they did have a problem. So they raced with a damaged car for all of the Southern 500, apparently. Wow. So that's, that was it, you know, not a great start. Then they go into Kansas, and he immediately comes on the radio as he's falling back, and he's like, something's wrong, something's wrong, and then he blows right, retire, game over, done day. This is not a good start for the guy who won the regular season championship and pretty much was a favorite coming in there. Yeah, I mean, and his teammate who we've picked to be the champion, Denny Hamlin, is obviously proving that the equipment is there <clears throat> with Toyota and JGR. But that's really interesting. As far as the tire issues are concerned, um, I guess what I was what what I was saying, you know, or my comment, I guess, maybe a little uneducated, so I'll take that, but it just it just seems like with this next gen car, it that tire it's a good tire. Um, Goodyear's done a great job, but it can fail if you're too hard on it. Yeah, and so it does seem like when we go to some of these racetracks, where particularly an intermediate track, where the teams benefit the most from getting the car low, staying low, taking advantage of the back of the car being on the diffuser um, and staying there, not you know having a lot of oscillation in the back of the car, which means they got to run really stiff springs back there or maybe have the car run up against the, the bottoming out of the shock. Um, that can just result in a lot of abuse on that tire. Yeah. And 
it doesn't happen the same to everybody because a lot of it has to do with how the driver drives the car when the tire is low on air and it's, mm-hmm. it's brand new too. Um, it's not like it just happens all the time. You know, the driver can put, or the team can put brand new tires in the car, left rear tires really, really low on air. And if they're, if they abuse that tire on lap one, two, three, um, that's where the damage is done. You may not see it until lap 30 of a run. Um, but that damage a lot of times can be done really early in the run. So it just seems like with this next gen car, there's, there's a fine line there. And we, we, it seems like we go weeks without seeing an issue. And then all of a sudden you go to a racetrack and three or four or five teams have tire issues. And I, in my opinion, I think it seems like Goodyear's pretty been pretty consistent with the tire. It's just, it's the teams, they might kind of go over the edge. Mm-hmm. I think what was interesting to me during this race, uh, being on pit road, covering it was listening to some of the Hendrick teams, especially the nine, uh, you know, they were really worried before the race about the tire issues. They would constantly tell chase to, you know, take care of the right rear. Don't lean on it too hard. Don't lean on the right rear too hard. And what was interesting was all the teams were struggling with the idea that the cars were building looser. So as the run went on, they were building to a looser condition. So much so that we played it on the broadcast. The 11 team, Chris Gabehart came on the radio and said, hey, to Denny, hey, the the line you're running in three and four on the bottom where it's obviously putting more load on the front tires, think about using that when you're trying to avoid the car getting too loose late in the run. Mm. And because everyone was struggling with the cars building too loose throughout the runs. So as yeah. to your point, you know, one, it's how you treat the beginning. Two, if your car, you know, if you're abusing that right rear tire and it's building looser and looser and you're just constantly sliding it and, and leaning on that right rear, that's where issues can develop. And I think that's normal. That's race cars. That's race so, cars on a racetrack. Yeah. I mean, that's what we love about race cars um, and stock cars in particular is having tires that are sensitive to th- that type of stuff. I, I ran the cup race last year at Kansas and um, had the same experience. My car was building loose, but what was interesting about it was. I had found some speed, you know, we, I, we've talked, I think we've talked about it on this podcast. Um, actually, no, I talked to Corey LaJoy a couple weeks ago about just the theory of driving the next gen car and what that car likes and looks for. And one of the biggest things that stood out to me about the next gen car is that car likes a lot of lateral. It wants lateral load. It wants big radius circle. So you know, as a driver on an oval track, you want to make a big radius circle with that car. You're not really pointing the car into the corner and making a tight radius. That's why even at in um, um, at a track like Watkins Glen, we see the drivers using way more runoff off of turn one than we've ever seen in the past because this next-gen car likes, it makes a lot of grip on a big radius. Well, for me at Kansas last year, I was finding that it was worth, for the first 15, 20 laps of a run on tires, it was worth several tenths for me of a second, a lap, for me to really start my entry um, down the backstretch early with like feeling like I'm turning the car and getting some load in the tires. But the penalty on the long run on the right rear tire was tremendous. And I remember at the, rest, at the end of the race thinking to myself, man, if I had to do this race all over again, I don't know how I would balance this car um, to make it right because I there's a couple tenths of speed for me to just abuse the right rear tire, um, but the penalty at the end was was tough. Hmm. Yeah, I think 
that was a consistent theme for drivers still this weekend in terms of the balance you're talking about because some of them would talk about I can't start any tighter firing off but I right. need to be tighter later in the run <laughs> and so it's like they're not managing it correctly right um it's and really hard to manage a car that builds loose on a long run mm -hmm. it's 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 a lot it's for me it's a lot easier to manage a car that starts loose and builds tight um mm. You know, I feel like you can, I, I like that feeling because if a car starts loose and builds tight, um, making a car drive tight on the short run is manageable. And then once a car starts to tighten up, always having that security of knowing the car's heading in a tight direction so I can abuse the right rear, right? Like I can lean yep. into the right rear because I know the car wants to go tight anyways. So I can always lean into the right rear and leaning into the right rear generally is Loose is fast. Make the car loose, make it go fast, right? Is yep. kind of a good way to look at oval racing. So when the car's building tight, you just know, hey, I'm going to continuously lean against the right rear and, and manually as from the seat balance the car out. But when the car's yeah. building loose on a long run, it's I feel like it's a lot easier for the car to get away from you. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I Although, well, no, I'm not going to agree. I'm going to disagree. I can agree with what your approach is, I'm going to disagree with liking that direction. I actually, I find often sometimes my, okay, no, I'm going to think about this another way. Hold on. <laughs> I feel like at times, at places where you can run multiple grooves or run the wall, I don't mind when a car builds loose because I always feel like the wall is something that can catch me and I can always run a very loose car at the wall. Mm -hmm. When you have a very tight car, I find it very restrictive in what I can accomplish and what I can do and occasionally. And so I find myself now my, my way I'm going to contradict myself here is to say, I don't want either of those things to happen. I just want it to be perfect <laughs> be fast, <laughs> but that's my mentality a little bit like this weekend, even in the Xfinity series, I felt like we were building loose on exit with these cars and loose in, and you would get tighter in the center for those reasons. But we were all, you know, still trying to, to gain that grip on the exit. So, um, Let's focus on the end of the race. You mentioned it. Denny Hamlin had probably the best car of this race. I mean, he, he had a really funny radio that only Denny, uh, we put on the broadcast, only Denny would do. Only guy that has the confidence to say such a thing, which was he was running about six or seven, and he said, these fellas up front don't know what's coming for them. <laughs> like, Damn, that's good. Sure enough, he lived up to it. He got to the front. He had the dominant car in stage three. They just executed a really clean race. Uh, up until the final, you know, we had this caution with six to go or so with Busher. They have uh, pit stops. They take four tires. A couple cars take two tires. The 99 takes zero, zero tires, which was never going to work with two and a half seconds of fall off. And he restarts laying back, trying to hold the five for laying back too much, doesn't get the restart he needed, and lets the 45 go on to win the race. Once again, 23-11 is just un insane at Kansas for some reason <laughs> they I don't know what Michael Jordan had to do with Kansas or whatever but uh they got it but Denny loses the race which was I think he was pretty frustrated with but he, he knew why right and I the other thing I want to point out just on the driving side Denny has a very unique line at Kansas when you know popular convention tells you that running on the wall creates a lot of speed he has if you watch he does everything he can to make speed off the wall 
And his mm-hmm. most specific line is about a car width off the wall, using the scene between the two banking angles to get the car to turn. And he is focused on it. It won him this the race in the spring when he beat Larson doing that. Mm-hmm. And then today, uh, this weekend, he was winning that race using that line. The 45 was trying to run the wall, had nothing for him. Yeah. Interesting. You know what I want to equate that to? Um, I, I've, particularly Kansas, I, I think this is a perfect example. I'm glad you pointed that out because I wasn't even thinking of it, but I've I've thought of this in the past. It's in my, it's actually, I think it might be in my driver notes in Kansas. I equate that to, if there's anybody listening that's a golfer, I equate that to a big golf mentality that's out there. You hear about it, golf advice, that if you're 150 yards out from the green or farther, that you should just aim for the middle of the green. Don't even look for the flag. Because your odds of landing on the green, if you just try to hit the, the whole green, are way higher than if you aim for the flag and the flag's off-center or whatever your miss um, percentage-wise is um, is going to put you off the green more often than if you just try to go for the middle of the green. Trying to bring that back to Kansas, if you are trying to run the fence at Kansas, yes, a perfect lap running the fence is hands down two to three tenths faster than running a lane off the wall. But... If you're, but your your accuracy and success rate of running the fence and setting the car up successfully balanced to run the fence, the accuracy that it takes to do that is so difficult that if if you approach every intermediate race, you know, and there's only a few intermediate race tracks that we run the fence anymore, right? Yeah. Yep. Um. Homestead, Kansas, you know, kind of, not Charlotte really. I mean, at times, Vegas a little bit. Vegas a little bit, but you really don't set up for it. You don't even try to set up for it. Darlington, kind of, you could say, say, hey, you set up for running the fence. I mean, there's only three, you know? Yep. Yep. So the odds of actually going to a race weekend with 20 minutes of practice, balancing your car perfectly for running the fence, and then executing on that, to get those two or three tenths um, is just, it's a low percentage. To me, it's a low percentage strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, where if you're saying that Denny is has an obvious strategy that he just is not even going to worry about running the fence, he's going to balance his car for running one lane off the wall. He's not even going to worry about it. He's going to completely take going for the pin out of play and he's just trying to hit the green. Um, he's He's... Uh, on average, is going to end up better off than a guy that's going for the fence. Makes sense. I agree with that. Um, And I'm not going to disagree with you this time. I'm just going to agree with you. (laughs) That doesn't mean that a Kyle Larson or, I mean, shoot, Tyler Reddick won the race. He didn't win the race because he was ripping the fence better than anybody else. But, um, you know, he did win the race on a final restart. But it doesn't mean that the Kyle Larsons or these guys that prioritize running the fence, it doesn't mean that those guys don't go and win one of those races every once in a while. But on average, I just wonder if a guy like Denny who just says, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to run a half a lane off the wall. Um, if his average, if his like productivity metric, whatever that is, is mm-hmm. higher on average um, than the rest of those guys. If that metric exists, I guarantee you he and Gabe Hart have come up with it because they are the most analytical duo in all of NASCAR. <laughs> I'm convinced of that. Um, and they just they focus on that stuff. And I can tell you that that 
line came from a pretty simple thought process, similar to your golf analogy, which is they said, if everyone's on the wall, how do you pass? <laughs> yeah. And so it was like, what if we could make somewhere else work on this track? And that's what they did. And they've used it to good effect. Unfortunately, it didn't get them the win, but they were darn close and probably had the best car. So good on them. Before we exit the Cup Series and head into the land of open wheel, uh, just some news that came out this week. Stage brakes are returning for road courses, starting with the Roval. Um, I see you shaking your head. I know. I know. <laughs> so here's the thing. I'm going to say my statement here, and then I'm going to let you run with what you want to say about this, because I know you're a bit of a purist on this. And I did, I am privy to some conversations within the media side of this sport that led me to believe that this was happening pretty quickly after we had some no-caution races. Remember, these races are run to a certain time, estimated time that as a uh, sport that is, you know, funded in t- mostly by media rights. There's a certain amount of time they expect that event to be happening. <laughs> when yeah. the races are, are missing that mark by massive percentages because of a change in the rules, mm-hmm. that's normally not going to be a good thing for anyone. Secondly... At the end of the day, this sport is here for entertainment. If forever, if someone buys a ticket or watches on TV and feels like the product has been lessened by a change in rules, then I think it's the sport's best in move to look at how to improve that. Hold on. Before it be changed because, and Landon's giving me a weird face, it was changed on the idea of trying to become maybe a little bit more fair, right? Or be a little bit more pure. If that's not the path and it doesn't equal the same level of entertainment, then why are you doing it? So with that, I know I supported no stage caution. I personally, as a driver, enjoyed that. I thought it was fun. I like the idea of of green flag races and I enjoyed doing these races where they we ran through the stage and it wasn't just a break. You just kept going. I thought that was cool and I liked the strategy. But I get from the entertainment side that, um, you know, maybe wasn't the best, but I also am going to say if the, you know, the stages did an amazing thing for the media side of the sport to have caught, caught having breaks in the action that they could do commercials, that sort of thing. Just remember that. So that's why they, you know, were big. They were the other side of them that was really important for the sport was that. Um, so first of all, you had me at hello on the whole NBC. <laughs> Uh, I didn't say NBC. You didn't I say in media. I'm sorry. You uh, the whole media conversations, time slot window, how we're funded commercials, and to be honest with you, that that's diving it, discussing that to me is more interesting, or I would hope, I'm assuming, is more interesting for our listeners than just my reaction, um, because we talk about not being a reaction show or things like that. I don't. I mean, I, I like the stage. I don't like the stage cautions, but. Um, yeah, for purity reasons, and I love long runs and road courses with strategy and whatnot. Um, I, I think it's interesting to talk about the reason why, you know, the time slot windows and the reason why we need the races to be three hours long on TV, um, because that's what funds our sport. That's the time, that's the TV window that was purchased. Um, that's how the business works. I think that's really interesting and really a good point. Um, and, and I think one thing that affects that is that, you know, a caution 
cautions on a road course aren't a straightforward thing. You know, a caution can last 15 minutes. It could last 45 minutes, right? So you, it's difficult to say, hey, we get rid of cautions altogether. Or not, not I want to say get, it's not that we got rid of cautions. We get rid of stage breaks altogether. But then you have a race that doesn't have any natural cautions. Well, the race only in Indy was only two hours long, right? Yep. So it's hard to manage that. Um, <clears throat> you you could make the road course race longer. You could make the the duration, yeah. of the, like the laps of the race longer. But then what mm-hmm. happens if you have a bunch of natural, ca- if you have three or four natural cautions? Well, now you have a four and a half hour race. So, <laughs> yeah, I you know, or a red flag or something like that. So, you know, the, NASCAR really is really good at knowing how long their races are. They're not stupid. They, these guys mm-hmm. know what they're doing. Um, it's just that when you have a race that goes green flag caution free, it, it's it's a pretty darn short race. So time wise, well, I and I think and I shouldn't um, even say. Well, hold on, I, and I should. I'm actually extrapolating a little bit. I'm not saying that's the sole reason this was changed, right? Some of it I think is entertainment. No, but I, I, I want to get to the entertainment point too. I, well, hold on, that's the only other real quick. I think I should clarify on that. I should clarify on that whole point though. Mm-hmm. That is not like a direct quote from anyone within the media world, whatever. It was just my interpretation of looking at timing of races and saying wait a second you know knowing how the this all works it's in no yeah. one's best interest that a cup race is sub two hours or ever right like that is not the intention of the nascar cup series it is a event that you know if you buy a ticket you'll be yeah you're not getting the full time and i agree with that. that you you should you know what i mean so i think that's where i was trying to say i wasn't saying directly so should like, we lobby for time-based cup races on well what, that's, that's maybe the three and a half hour race so hold on. One thing I did think about was like, <laughs> what did I was like, that? I don't, I, I just don't want anyone on here to like quote this and be like, well, Parker said NBC, it came from an NBC N- meeting. Yeah, NBC said they need more time for commercials. No, that's not what I was saying. What I was saying was it's not in the best interest of the sport. I thought that's your thing. I thought no, they said you had a meeting. No, I'm privy to just things, but that's not what I was. <laughs> okay, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I know. okay. So what I was trying to say was it's not in the sports best interest to have such a wildly vastly different time period when you're trying to sell you know when you have something that right. goes sub two hours when some of these things are five hours what the heck are you doing right like what this right. doesn't make any sense no i get that you know an nfl game doesn't go suddenly an hour and 30 minutes right no i agree i agree i know yeah. i i understand that i agree with that that's what i was trying to agree with sorry if i <laughs> put you in an awkward spot by putting words in your mouth um <laughs> <laughs> I don't, Please don't, don't quote me AI generated quote articles that is yeah. uh, certain websites that are just going to quote this podcast yeah. transcript. Um, so that so that's that. And then as far as the entertainment comment, I just have it just raises red flags for me. Uh, we've talked the in our group thread uh, with a. Industry executive who will not be named but has been referred to on this show several times. Um, <laughs> our special guest, our ghost Pink special Pink. guest who will never actually be on the show but is a great contributor and listener, is a great person to have this entertainment debate with who I've had it with in the past. And you will hear this person and a lot of people argue passionately that we're an entertainment business. Right. And it's all about entertainment. We gotta entertain the fans. And I get that. And I and I and I agree with that. But I look at that and I take it ten steps further and say, 
where do you draw the line? And if your guiding light is entertainment, where does it stop? Does it stop at professional wrestling? <laughs> does it stop at, you know what I mean? Like, what, yep. where does it stop? I don't know. Like, does it does it stop at knowing the outcome of the race before it even gets started? Where do you draw the line between your identity as a racing series and your identity as an entertainment property? Or is that the eternal balance that the brass at NASCAR has to continuously keep in check for their brand and for their business? Um, I, I think that that's a, I, I don't, I think that it's just that whole con comment about, well, we're an entertainment business. I think using that as a reason for why we make decisions like this caution stuff is a is a very cheap and dangerous justification. Um, that I guess because because it's not quantifiable, right? Right. What is entertainment? It's different in everyone's eyes. Right. So that I I can see that, and I can agree with you there. Uh, Josh, our producer, says bring back the caution clock. Absolutely not. That was the stupidest thing ever. Um, I what hated was the it. caution clock. Do you know about so in the truck series we did it? You raced for like twenty minutes, but it was the stupidest thing ever. So every you'd go twenty minutes, but the the stupid <clears throat> thing for me was that's a thing that has existed in NASCAR. Yeah, it lasted for like a moment. Um, <laughs> oh my god! I want to say twenty sixteen. It was pre stages and then stages happened. So one thing that I hated about the the closest thing to a caution clock that I know of is I think the snowball derby had a deal for a long time where um, if you went 150 laps without a caution, they would throw yellow. <laughs> and I hated that. <laughs> so. Now, I don't, so, because I don't like, here's what I like about stages. They're predictable. If you're going to have not natural stoppages of the race, you make it predictable. My, my, my problem with the idea of these, you know, the all-star race they do, which is kind of fun, but it's, to me, it's, it then starts to go over your metric of entertainment into wrestling, which is if you don't know when a hold on, just hold on. I know you put your hand up. If you don't know when a caution is coming out that can be thrown by for no reason that it needs to be other than entertainment, I don't think that's a fair. That's not a sport anymore. That is, and that's just entertainment. Mm. The other part I was going to say was the caution clock when it was timed was really frustrating because as a competitor, hearing you have eight minutes to go means nothing to me. <laughs> Now, hearing I have eight laps to go, I can quantify. When I hear I have eight minutes, I'm wondering, what the hell does that mean in laps? <laughs> so it was so frustrating. I, I mean, the teams, would, the teams would be like, you, you have roughly seven laps to go. Like, okay, do we have seven laps or do we not seven laps? When you say, when you talk about like the predictability of scheduled cautions and things like that, um, when you say it like that, it actually, it does make you realize that doing them in terms of scheduled like a stage break is the fairest way of trying to schedule yes. in a caution. Yes. So I, I, I can understand. I have an appreciation for for it all. You know, I'm not trying to be like uh, too binary on it all. I have a suggestion. Here's what we should okay. do and then let's move on. Uh, because this is going to be the show-stopping suggestion that you're just going to, everybody's going to love and agree with and this is going to end the conversation because then we can move <laughs> to the next topic because this is a, such a great idea. If we're trying to have two or three cautions per race, I think they should just randomly select three drivers, and those three drivers at the, during the race can choose whenever they want to throw a yellow. <laughs> Use it your own discretion. 
Use it at your own discretion for your own benefit at any point in the race, as long as a leader hasn't taken the white. That is that is pretty funny. Maybe that should be the all star race. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Perfect. Three. We get three random. We just draw out of a hat three names. Denny Hamlin would have thrown the yellow before we took the white this weekend, and uh, had another Ke- shot at it. And Kevin Harvick would have um, thrown it before he got ding coming onto pit road for the caution coming out for the forty five trying to match him. There you go. Road. Had an interesting conversation with him this weekend about that. By the way, it was. It was oh, fast. what Oh, I think he just was in agreement. Like, what a death. Like, a little bit of just, like, what a move by Tyler, you know, trying to make it happen. Just wild. So, Is it similar to you missing a shift on a restart and your, and your competitor <laughs> running you over and cutting a right front tire? Exactly. It's like, you know, you couldn't I, replay any of it. Of I just realized, over. I can't believe I let you tell us yeah, you about your entire race. And we didn't, and we, like, <laughs> we just, <laughs> we ashamed. completely um, <laughs> omitted one of the most important storylines. <laughs> I think that's called Gailey for Howard. Yeah, it is. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, some people thought I had to, the ability to do that on purpose, by the way. Um, I was like, you couldn't do that a trillion times over, nor do I ever want to miss a damn shift. <laughs> you're like, you're like lining him up in your rearview mirror yeah. and then being like, all right, lift. <laughs> Got him. Here we go, Got man. Him. Nailed it. That's like talking about some <laughs> Mario Kart stuff. Uh, let's move on. Let's go to the Oakwell world. IndyCar had their season finale this past weekend, and it was an insane race. Um, a repave at Laguna Seca admit it was incredibly treacherous offline. And wow. just like in NASCAR, they had a race similar in style. Uh, I Basically, I don't know, it was it a record amount of cautions? Josh, tell me in the chat here. I can't remember, but... It was an Im- so many caution laps that the pace car had to be refueled at one point <laughs> in the race. It, every single car took a, ch- a turn at the front. I texted James Hinchcliffe this uh, week and was like, hey, man, I will say this, though. That race was insane, but it did show the competitiveness of the IndyCar series in that if a car that was running 22nd happened to find itself up front, it stayed there. I thought mm-hmm. it was pretty cool. So it showed how close they were. Uh, Scott Dixon ended up winning the race because he's just insane. He'll never be stopped. Um, you can you can throw a bajillion cautions at him in an insane race, and he still found a way to win the damn race. That's crazy. Yeah, I almost picked him, but oh, I didn't. And um, it's interesting uh, to see just the treacherousness of offline at a road course. I know it's any car; it's a lot different than stock cars. You and I have kind of talked in the past repaves on ovals for stock cars. Is treacherous offline. Yep. Repaves on road courses for stock cars, not so bad. Actually, well, it's a pretty good. Road race. America was, yeah, Road America was a little sketchy though. Hmm. Yeah, that one disproved our theory. It, it was wild because you know, the only reason Road America was so crazy was we were going so damn fast. We were going so we were going ten mile an hour faster than the braking zone, so we were all suffering brakes. And there's no vertical load there. It's just no. flat racetrack. You're going really fast until you're not. Until <laughs> like, it's over. Well, yeah. I mean, whether you wreck or you just, you have to slow down. You have to, you know, yeah. those corners, it's like you're going 180 miles an hour and there's like three downshifts <laughs> into a 50 mile an hour corner. 
So can I just can I just say that I hope someone quotes us from this podcast, knowing that we have so many industry folk that listen to it. You're going really fast until you're not. <laughs> that is the technical analysis you can get here. People, that's like actually one of my responses when people ask me what it's like to go 200 miles an hour, and I'm always like, "It's great. You're covering a lot of ground. You don't realize how fast you're going until you stop all of a sudden." <laughs> that is very true. That's right. That's not awesome. speed. It's not speed that kills. It's a sudden loss. In speed. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think last, just lastly on IndyCar, uh, I, I just thought, you know, looking at that weekend, we sent each other the uh, the hospitality that Andretti Global now has. Yeah, that series, man, it, it's just cool to see. They also announced they have a one million dollar race at the Thermal Club next year, which I'm not. I didn't really find out exactly what the format was and such, but it's almost like an all star event sort of thing. Uh, but Thermal Club is like one of those country club racetracks that they did their preseason deal at outside of yeah. LA, and so um, kind of a cool thing for them to do, and. You know, that's for that series, that's a big deal. You know, their prize money is similar to Xfinity, less than Cup, you know, not similar to Cup. So $1 million is a really, really, really big deal um, for that series. So it's, that'll be yeah. interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be a cool but, race. Now, speaking of money, let's talk about the most flush with it uh, in terms of financial security in the world right now. And that is Formula One, also known as F1. Um, there's an interesting thing that's developing right here. And this is something that happens every couple of years in Formula One. And it used to happen between Bernie Ecclestone and the teams. Um, and it is rumbling to be happening between Liberty Media and the teams. And that is the famous Concord Agreement. And the Concord Agreement is essentially the, the, the rights, media rights holders and Liberty Media or prior to that was Bernie Ecclestone their agreement with the race teams and basically what are you guys going to get what's your you know cut of the, the revenue of the media rights how does it all work who owns what that sort of thing it has always been a contentious thing it, it has led to many times in the past threats of you know a rival series being started to teams saying they're going to leave it has been you know called out for playing favorites and giving more historical money to teams like ferrari who you know, Bernie Ecclestone was hugely supportive of because he felt like without Ferrari, there was no F1. Um, you know, Ferrari brought so many fans, that sort of thing. And so it's always been a contentious deal. Well, the Liberty Media CEO, Greg Maffey, 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 I don't know, uh, said he expects smooth negotiations over Formula One's next Concord agreement in stark contrast to the snot-gobbling fight of previous <laughs> eras. Here's the thing. When you have money on the line, and this this current agreement runs from 2021 to 2025, and it was far easier with Liberty Media, and I think a lot of that is obviously the growth that's happened and them being far more open to sharing revenue with the teams than Bernie Ecclestone was. But I'm going to give you a scenario here in the next couple of years. We all feel like, and there's even articles out there, that Formula One has potentially maybe met its peak in America, right? And that, you know, hey, this enthusiasm is cool, but this is kind of as big as it gets. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, and they start to read those tea leaves in 2024, and then as we come to 2025, this new agreement has to be had and made, do you think it doesn't become a bit contentious if they feel like the pie is shrinking as opposed to the shot, the pie is always getting bigger? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like 
I just, the only comparison I really have is what's going on in NASCAR Mm -hmm. and the team owners in NASCAR won a bigger piece of the pie, just plain and simple. Like they're, whether the pie is getting bigger, the pie is getting smaller. I feel like the team owners are going to constantly be trying to get a bigger piece of the pie as they should. Yep. Yeah. So the, they do, you know, so just to go a little further, they do have, uh, quotes in this article out there that they believe the revenue pie will continue to increase. Um, and that, that means they can get a pretty much similar agreement to what they have now. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if it's not the head, you know, there's not the tailwinds they believe there is now, I don't always, I would never suspect those agreements uh, to go down smoothly. Just saying. So we'll see. Good luck. Usually when, usually when there's money flowing around, that's where the fights get ugly. Wouldn't you say? Uh, well, I think it's, so I think it's when the pie has either shrunk or there's a, dis, you know, obviously the pie is so weighted to one side, right? In terms of how it's being split. Mm-hmm. I think they probably have a pretty equitable split right now. But what I wonder is if for every reason there's a feeling that the pie isn't growing at the same rate or has, you know, stagnated. That's where I find things can get contentious. So how, what's our, what do you, what's the timeline here? I'm learning more about this. Uh, so look, basically this one goes through 25, uh, but they're talking about, you know, early talks in 24, starting. So in the next year, we're going to learn more about it. Yeah. We're going to learn more. It's going to come up more. Trust me. I just know it. It's so, it's the, the Concord Agreement has never, like, yes, it was a little easier to live with but it has never been, it's one of the most contentious two words in all of motorsport. And pot, definitely an F one. <laughs> so, do you think Liberty Media will like bring? So, do you think Liberty Media would would bring Bernie in as a consultant to Absolutely. negotiate this? <laughs> he did. He was at the beginning, but I don't think I don't think so anymore. So, yeah, that will be an interesting book. Um, something you could find interesting uh, because you're you're you were a pretty avid golfer at times in your career, Lando Norris has admitted to struggling with back issues that have been aggravated by the current F1 cars in terms of the how much they're bouncing and that sort of stuff, and that he's been in constant pain uh, last season, and he's working through different ways to you know alleviate that pain. And one of the things uh, is possibly having to do less golf to help his golf back. Golf is hard on your back. Yeah. So less golf, more tough. yoga. That I think that's basically what he's doing, more stretching and less golf. And the team basically said, uh, you know, we know he might have to adapt some things in terms of his lifestyle, which must be very, very painful for such a passionate golf player. So they're 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 envious they're they're sympathetic to this golf game. Which they'll quite for. a gamer and I wonder if this if the game you know, when I spent all that time in the simulator Mm-hmm. Um, not just in the gaming, but in the simulator, like all those extra hours in the in the big sims, the manufacturer sims, I could feel my body change. I'm also, this is during a time in my life where I've transitioned out of my 20s and into my 30s, so there's there's some stuff going on there. Lando's a you know about a decade behind me in age, but um, I I could see you know, yeah, I mean there's a lot of challenges there. It's that's uh, I could see where those cars are tough on the body, so hate to see them with issues that young. The it is tough. I mean, 
I the only other thing I found interesting about it is that race car drivers, no matter who, what kind of cars you drive, back issues seem to be a common trend. I hurt my back mm-hmm. in USAC midgets. It's always been an issue um, yeah. at times. Actually, although like through some good physio stuff and then focusing on my seat stuff and really learning like what my body yeah. wanted, I stopped it. But I always find I always see race car drivers and older race car drivers really struggling their back. So huh. yeah, so I've been fortunate. Tough on you. I've been fortunate, but little fun little fact on, on me that's I find interesting. I don't know if other people find interesting, but I have had the same seat and seating position for 15 years. Wow. Haven't you? So my my butler seats that I run in my truck, mm-hmm. I had those done in 2013 for KBM mm-hmm. and that insert done in 2013 and I've never had to change it. <laughs> But as carbon seats, all the different carbon seats I've had to find, you know, what workarounds, and then I found the one I'm in now. Yeah, I locked in. So. I locked in carbon seats 15 years ago uh, when I was at Hendrick, and then uh, I am. I I bought the carbon seats. I've owned the carbon seats. I've got a good relationship with Hendrick. They've helped upgrade me over the years to to the new the newer additions. Um, and in fact, the carbon seats that I own are the most popular ones. The ones that everybody tries to get. The in term the the carbon seats that Hendrick makes. There's just a bunch of versions of them. Um, but there's one uh, version in particular that's a really hard to get one. Unfortunately, I am the owner of several you of those. Got <laughs> you got them. Well, and, uh, and, and nobody's getting them from me because <laughs> I haven't changed my seating position in 15 years. So I'm yeah. not changing any carbon seats or seating <laughs> positions. Uh, I run the, well, I discovered I run the same one as Noah Gregson basically at the beginning of the year. So, and I think it's the same one Chase Elliott runs, and a couple of us run the same seat version. So, uh, last thing in the Formula One world, uh, Mercedes put it out there this week that they've discovered they're going to need half a second to catch Red Bull in 2024. Hey, just so you when know. When did they discover that? Because, yeah, when did they? Because we did this about <laughs> seven months ago for you. <laughs> you're right. Right. We've been keeping track of it. And uh, yeah, you're right. It's a half a second. <laughs> it's a half a second. You're going to need to find it. It's been a half a second for like all season. Glad you came to that conclusion. You can pay us next time here on the Money Room for all your consistency <laughs> right. needs. In the Formula they One, pay their engineers, but <laughs> yeah, we didn't. I can I can watch it on ESPN and know that you guys need a half a second. <laughs> <laughs> all right, love it. Well, that's it. All our big topics. Uh, before we go, um, I guess my my question to you is, what's what? Well, okay, hold on. Let me let me back up for a second. Here's my plan in the playoffs. People want to know, jumping into my first ever playoff campaign, um, and it's really quite simple. Keep doing exactly what we've been doing for about the last 10 weeks, 12 weeks. And if we do that, yeah. we are going to be just fine in this first round. But you've, uh, you have a lot of experience in this stuff. Do you have any other words of wisdom or things to think about as we enter these playoffs? Uh, I've been doing what you're doing. You've been attacking every week. I love it. Keep it up. Uh, don't don't tighten your car up at Bristol in practice. <laughs> Perfect. I appreciate it. That's good advice. I love it. On that note, that will be the advice to all of the listeners out there. Do not tighten your car up at Bristol in practice. We'll talk to you later. Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lab. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? 
simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.